0: All right, we are in Psalm 46 today. We're going to take a break from Acts, and basically this is kind of a lead into the service this morning. You will see in Psalm 46 that the name Jacob is actually mentioned, and we have sung this many times. So let's read Psalm 46 and see where the Lord takes us. Of course, any questions, correspondence is greatly welcome. Psalm 46, and the opening here in my Bible says, Confidence which the church has in God to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a song of Alamoth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river that streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved, God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth, he breaketh a bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. And before I go forward, I just want to see there's so many encouragements in here for all of us. When the Lord says that he will be exalted by the heathen, he's sending us a message He's saying, and if they will exalt Him, He has unlimited power over the wicked and over the heathen and the ones that are trying to harm His people. And so He will protect us. This is a psalm that we have sung in this church many, many, many times. And if you remember any of the words of it, a lot of times we sing it during Reformation. And what has happened is, basically, in the last couple of weeks, there was a Bible conference down in South Carolina it's called, I believe it's called the American Ministers' Reformation, Reformation of Faith, and Pastor Evans heads it up, and there's a lot of different pastors, and they had pastors coming in to speak, and we were going to go down and just do some R&R down there in South Carolina to go visit uh, Pastor Evans' son-in-law, and all of a sudden what happened was uh, two of the pastors couldn't make it, so they asked me to fill in for one of them, and since it was a Reformation message, I thought, what could be better than Psalm 46? And there's a very specific reason why. Now, this psalm here, this is what I preached. This is what I was able to do, and the, I, I thought it went very well because of the information that the Lord gave here. It's just incredible. And a lot of the pastors, they were in the, they were in the, um, the New Testament because basically, if you know, the, the foundational principles of the Reformation really revolve around Romans. Well, I figured that was going to happen. So there's got to be a good Old Testament message. And there's millions of them, of course. Psalm 46, that, what could be better? It's great to look closer at this great passage as we, read, we just read it. These words were written. You'd think, wow, was that David? No, wasn't David. Was it Moses? No, Moses didn't write this. Was it, was it possibly um, Asaph or some of the other psalmists? No. This psalm was written from. It was a psalm of the descendants of Korah, the sons of Korah. Does anybody remember who the Korahites were? That's a big one, going all the way back to Numbers chapter 16 and then Numbers 26. It was not actually, yeah, it was Numbers 26. Does anybody remember who the sons of Korah were, or or the Korahites? Lisi. That's right. And you know, we learned something that's very important. Going back into the book of Numbers, you didn't mess with Moses. Moses may not seem to be a very prestigious man. He didn't maybe seem, unless unless you watch the movie, he kind, he kind of did in the Ten Commandments. But Moses, there were people in the Bible, I mean, you didn't want to mess with God's people. But Moses, you didn't want to mess with What had happened was, this is the opening for this, and I'm going to give you just a teeny tiny history, because actually we could be here for hours if we really went through it, but what's very fascinating about this psalm is that, uh, does anybody remember, let me ask this question, Abiram and Dathan. Remember those names? Abiram and Dathan. Well, they were the elders, okay? They were elders, they were the sons of Reuben, and they were the elders that were very close to the Korahites. I don't believe that they were Korahites, but they were close, and they were soundboards for them. And they are the ones that came with the Korahites and went to Moses and said, "You want to? You wanted to destroy the people of Israel? We will not go with you to the congregation. We will not go with you to the temple. You know, of course, they would not sit home and watch it on Zoom." <laughs> They would go to the temple and they would worship. And they said, we will not worship with you. We are done. And then Moses, he speaks and he goes, we will see who is nearer to the Lord. We will see whom God hath chosen. Because this day, if the Lord opens up the earth and whoever gets swallowed, who's ever left? Those are the ones that are close to the Lord. And sure enough, that very day, the the whole ground opened up swallowed the Korahites, but he left a few. The Lord left a few Korahites, and they're called the sons of Korah. And you would think that when this was written, these are the descendants from the sons of Reuben, the Korahites, you would have think they would have been writing something to hate God and say, how in the world could you do that to our family and swallow up my nieces, my nephews, my cousins, my family? How could you do that? And destroy my family, you awful God of wrath. You would have thought, because that's what people say today. But you know what they did? They wrote these psalms to thank and praise the Lord for not doing it to them. And they were thankful that the Lord spared them when the rest of them had defied Moses, had defied the law of God, had defied everything that the Lord had said. And that's the power of God's wrath. And that's that's the opening where they come in and they write this psalm. And I want to give you a lead in. We can talk about this if you have any questions or anything. Please, please feel free to step up. This song was written, but there is another song that we sing that is written from this psalm. Does anybody know what it is? Yes. Well, no, that is Psalm forty-six, but there's another hymn that's written. I'm sorry, I made it. I, I said that wrong. Jacob. Yes. Does anybody remember who wrote "A Mighty Fortress"? Luther, and he was with one of the great theologians of the day in the 16th century, Philip Melanchthon. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, and that's where the Reformation comes in. But what's fascinating about that song is even all these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years later, Luther and Melanchthon and Calvin and all them, they believed they needed a refuge and they needed a fortress. So this comes in three stanzas. Psalm 46 comes in three stanzas. There's three. And you break it down in verses 1 through 3, then you have from there verses 4 through 7 and then you have verses 8 through 11 and those are three stanzas. And basically the first stanza verses 1 through 3 defines what does it mean when they're singing God is our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is could be our sanctuary. It could be our our sanctuary, should be our haven of refuge, our shelter, our protection, our retreat. A refuge is a sheltered or protected state safe from something threatening, harmful, or unpleasant. Where is our refuge? Our places of refuge are often our abodes, and Moses' refuge was in his tabernacle. He loved it. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7. Charlie. Could you help me with that? Could you look up Exodus 33, 7 and read that, please? Exodus 33, 7. That's it. Thank you, Charlie. Well, I think that's a very good lead-in for what a refuge is and what a sanctuary is. I think it's good for us to realize that because, you know, in our lives, there are places in our lives that we want to run to when things are tough. Our refuge could be our parents. Our refuge could be our home. Those are all good refuges. The sanctuary, I think, is very important because if you look all down through the ages when they had horrible fevers, Back in the uh, 18th and 19th century, when there have been hurricanes, when there have been tornadoes, when there have been depression, when there have been famines, where is the place of refuge that people would go when they lost their houses? They would go to the local sanctuary, and the church would take care of them. They would feed them, and they would help them. And I think that's a wonderful blessing. All down through the ages, the tabernacle has been a great refuge. And of course, the Lord has said that it should be our refuge, it must be our refuge, because When the word of God is preached, that in and of itself is a protection that no one else can give. We see here how Joshua, Moses' young apprentice, he said that his refuge was a sanctuary of promise. It was in the promised land. Could I ask, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 13, Bev, could you look that up, please? Joshua 24, verse 13. In this Joshua, we see what his refuge was, what he considered his place of, of comfort and protection. Ch- Joshua 24:13. Thank you. Uh-huh. They that's that's great. Thank you. They planted and the Lord said that he would bless them. And when that promised land came, they said it was a place filled with milk and honey. And it was just overflowing with the mercies and the blessings of the Lord. And and you there's there's things that we need. The Lord knows that there are needs that we have. And isn't it incredible how he doesn't make it one generic thing where everybody has to do the same thing? The Lord personalizes our refuges to our needs and to where we're at in our lives. You know, some people are closer to their parents. Some people are closer to their friends. Some are close to, of course, in their marriages. And all. there's all kinds of ways. But the Lord has each one of us, has our refuges personalized to our needs. And He has that. And we see here that the tabernacle, we see the promised land. David's haven was in Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 7.1. Who could look that up? Jacob, could you look up Second Samuel chapter seven verse one? David loved a town. There was a certain town and he loved it. And isn't it amazing? It's the very one that Christ Himself loved and was there and many times preached. Second Samuel seven one. What was that city? anybody know? That's important. Lisa. The city of refuge, it's the city of Zion. What's the city? What is the city? That's kind of a clue. Yes. Jerusalem. Look at the connection there. How many people are talking today about the Bible not being... Inerrant, and now there's all kind of historical problems and all. It's amazing how so many details come up. And you see how Christ talked about Jerusalem. And there's Jerusalem all the way back in 2 Samuel. And David loved the city. This is the lead-in for the second stanza, by the way. And this is really awesome. Because Christ loved Jerusalem. And he's, he's not going to build a new Baltimore. He's not going to build a new New York or a new San Diego when it's all said and done, the Lord says, "I am going to build a new Jerusalem, the city of our God. The holy place wherein His host is His abode." We sing that. The holy place wherein the Lord hath high has hath His abode in Jerusalem is what He says. And so he talks about that city. It's a city of refuge, and we're going to see that in the second stanza. Job's city of refuge. How about Dave Cross? Could you look up Job chapter 1, verse 1? Job 1, 1. I, I love the first chapter of Job, especially. And then Job 1, 1. Job chapter 1, verse 1. Thank you, Dave. He eschewed evil, he hated it, and his refuge was in us. He loved his lands, where his kids were. That's where all of his riches and his cattle were. That was his place of refuge. There was a man in the land of Uz, and we know what happened to Job. And that was the city of refuge. He loved it. That's where he grew his children, his first ten children. And, of course, we know what happened to them. And we see how our Lord Jesus Christ loved to ascend up into a mountain, and he frequented the mouth of Olives. We see that all these are locations of refuge, but the common thread shared by the prophets, apostles, the followers of Christ, and even Christ himself found refuge, strength and very present help, they found it in God. We see how the evidences here are that the refuge of all Christians take part in is the refuge of having the Lord God Almighty as their protector. 2 Samuel 22.2, 2, Teresa, could you look that one up? 2 Samuel 22.2, 2, and then Teresa Smith, could you look up Psalm eighteen two? And then you could read that Teresa. Second Samuel yeah, Second Samuel twenty two two. And he said, "The Lord is my rock, and my fortress, and my deliverer." See that? It's a good thing to have a fortress that's made of rock, isn't it? That's a very good fortress. That's very impenetrable. And when you see that, that and David is saying. He is my rock, he is my fortress, and he is my deliverer. There is nothing that can stand against it. Psalm 18.2. Do you have that, Teresa? And we see another extension of that. A rock, a fortress, a high tower. You know, there were some, I remember, remember the walls of Jericho. They had high towers. And the high towers, Mount of Olives, there was a fortress up the Mount of Olives, actually, that Rome used, that you could actually see all the way down, all over Jerusalem. And you could see everything that was going on. And they used to have guards up there watching the town to see if there was any marauders coming in or anything. And they would use that. And that's how I believe, I really do believe, that's how they spent years and they planned on destroying Jerusalem by watching that town. And they knew every nook and cranny, every crevice of it, and in 70 AD, Christ said himself that all of Jerusalem will be destroyed. And they learned exactly what to do to destroy it, and that's exactly what they did. But that fortress, so the high towers, the high places where you can look down and you can see, and that was a very important place of uh, military tactical um refuges for for the soldiers and for all the armies proverbs fourteen twenty six says in the fear of the lord is strong confidence and his children shall have a place of refuge you get discouraged it's very easy to get discouraged and you're wondering what is the lord doing and you say to yourself why is all these things happening to me in in my life It could be personal you could see all the horrible things happening around us in government and all And the promise is that no matter what, he will be a place of refuge. No matter what. So let's so we need to be very we need to trust the Lord and we need to never question him. Here Jeremiah teaches us what our Almighty God is a refuge from. This is what the Lord protects us from. Lisi, could you read Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19? Jeremiah 16, 19 there. That's very important. Thank you, Lisey. What happens here is, surely our fathers have inherited lies. This is what Jeremiah was saying. You go back to chapter 12. He was lamenting. You know, he's the weeping prophet. He was lamenting over his whole nation, turning on God. But what I love about that is he didn't give in. He didn't turn. It's always good to see when there's one person that won't turn because it's very easy for us to feel like giving in. It gets hard. And you just and, it, and you just get tired of seeing all these horrible things. What do you do? Lisey. I just think of how the Apostle Paul said, forgive me, it's more of the epistles. It might be at the beginning of Galatians, when he was imprisoned, but he says his imprisonment actually encouraged others to be more bold in the gospel. Right. I think it was. yeah <laughs> Right. Right. And we're comfort to those people. So all the reasons to keep thanking the Lord for even at the time they're not because, you know, what's that? twelve, mm-hmm. That's a great point. Does anybody remember back in the 70s a pastor out in the Midwest that got literally carried out of his church and taken to jail? I know, Jenny, you'll remember it. I remember uh, there was a big thing with Brother Howard and Pastor Britton, Mike Britton and all knew all about it. My father went out there and all. There was Everett Sullivan. Remember that? He was back in the 70s. Everett Sullivan had a little Christian school out in Nebraska, and he had a small congregation of people, no more than what we have, 30, 40 people, maybe a little bit more. And all of a sudden, the state came in, and they wanted to start accreditations on all schools. Well, you know what accreditations mean. That means when you have to go into the school, you have to accredit with the state, you have to teach whatever they tell you. You are now, you know, now community conscience comes in. It means there's certain things you can teach, certain things you can't teach. They didn't want him teaching the Ten Commandments anymore. They wanted him to be very careful with what he taught in the Bible, And this guy was as solid as a rock. And he said, I am not budging. I will not budge. I will not, I will do what I'm going to do, and we will not get accredited. And this caught on all around the country. And I remember my father flew out there. And years later, there's a gentleman who I still do business with. He's a deacon down at a little Baptist church. He started telling me about five years ago, he goes, Do you remember Everett Sullivan? He goes, I flew out there, and I was out there. I said, Tim, you were out there, my father, he knew my father, he, he had no idea my father was out there at the same time. He was out there at the same time, and they all stood around the church, and they ho- held hands, and they prayed. And the police came in, they went into the church, and they took him, and they took his wife, and people were, they, they took a bunch of other, the deacons and all, and they were laying on the floor, and they wouldn't budge, and they picked them up by their arms and legs, and they took them to jail. Every one of them. I mean, that was, this is America. And if you remember, if you ever heard of that, if you ever, well, you can read about it. I think it's, you can find it on the internet. And what happened was he went to jail for like overnight, and a lot of churches binded together, and they looked up the Constitution, they got constitutional lawyers, and he defeated it. And he, well, he stood, he defeated it, but you know what it did? It's like what Lisa was just talking about. This one man stood up and went to jail. It binded all these churches together, and they prayed. To this day, many of them, they all pray, pray, pray for each other. And that was a real important thing. You know, I, I don't know how far that he thought that this could happen, but that's a very frightening thing out of nowhere where you're carried into jail. You don't know what they're going to do to you. And look what Paul went through, and look how at least he was talking about how it's strengthened. And the refuges in God. And that was a that was a real incredible, um, that was cr- an incredible event. It should have never happened, especially in this country. Well we see that God is our refuge from the lies and the wranglings of our present pathetic political establishment. And so I have to bring up, does anybody see the last executive order that uh, illegitimate Biden signed on Thursday? He signed an executive order that states that he is going to help and fund psychological treatment and profiling for any five or six or seven or eight-year-old child who's questioning their gender they're going to go in and the psychiatrists are going to show them why it's good to have the sex change. In any school, the parents have, the parents have an opening to it and they can go right in and they can get psychi- psychiatric evaluation and talk a poor kid that has no idea what he's doing to do it. Matthew. Right, at will. They don't need parent parental authority, correct? What does a five-year-old know? What does a five-year-old know? I'm not saying they're stupid, but I'm saying they don't know what an adult knows. Yeah. That's, the whole, that's another thing they were talking about. He said, that, that wicked man said, that when the kids, and I've been saying this for years, and you want to know why? I've seen this over the years, and I've saw it up at that little Red Pump Elementary School. They shut those gates, and they sit police out in front of those gates, and the parents can't get into that school when, you, when the kids are dropped off at those schools in the morning, they're owned by the state. And you can't go in there, you can't say, I want my kid home, I want to go away. You can't have them back till they release them. And that's what's going on. And he came out and said the truth. When your kids are in school, we own them. They're ours. He's right, he's right about that. It's wrong that they do that, but that is exactly the way it is. Marriage equality, sodomy, abortion, filth that has been put in schools, colleges, workplaces, and sadly even in so-called churches. God protects us from falling in line with the political correctness and being ensnared by it. Christ said, he that endures to the end is worthy of the kingdom of God. And that stands on number one. There is no refuge from God. There is absolutely no refuge from God against him. There is no protection for anyone who rises up against God. There is no refuge for them. There is no bottom line. There is no cosmic figure or some supernatural being that can go head to head with God and defeat him and that 's what this is all about but there 's something bigger that 's massive i shouldn 't say it 's bigger, but there 's something I really do believe Melanchthon and Martin Luther were thinking when they read when they wrote a mighty fortress from the Reformation. What they were going through and what we're going through locks in perfectly. Time doesn't mean anything. They were going through the same persecutions. Back then it was much worse. I mean, I hear, hear people saying how hard it is, but they were literally being taken out and burned at will. There was nothing to protect them, and they were wheeled down, the, they were wheeled down these, uh, these horrible roads in front of their families, and they were burned in front of them alive with nothing left of them. And they would burn them in varying degrees on how much they wanted them to be suffering. The fact that Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon actually got out from under that because the Lord actually, well, the Lord protected them in the tower where he wrote and he, and he translated the, uh, the scr- scriptures. The fact that he got out from under that, and Calvin did, is just an incredible miracle because they were pursued most of their lives to be killed. And a lot of the men, if you read some of the accounts of Latimer and Ridley and Savannah Rolla and John Huss and many other, you would believe how brutal these executions were because they loved Jesus Christ. But even with that, there is absolutely no refuge that these wicked people have against God. Our Savior gave all glory to the Father throughout His ministry. Though one of the most precious examples of a refuge is the ministry of Jesus Christ here on this earth. You know, we do understand. I remember in our little vacation Bible school, one of the manipulatives for the kids was to, to, to make some kind of a, a little representation on what they think of the Holy Spirit. One of the kids came up with a brilliant idea. I can't remember who it was. They took, a little, they took a, like, a little cup and they put different flavors of ice cream in it. And they had like a red, a blue, and a white or something like that. And it's like, well, that's what the Trinity's like. They're three in one. You know, they're all three different colors and flavors, but you can eat them all together. It's like a three and one. I thought that was really neat. The Trinity is unified, and it is one. There's different offices. But the humility of Christ really came out when he considered himself subordinate to the Father when he was here on this earth. Why? That was his refuge. If that was Christ's refuge, why can't it be our refuge? Why? And what does it mean for God to be our refuge? It means obedience to him, to trust him. And when he tells us not to do things, not to do them. When he tells us to do things, to do them. When he tells us to honor him, honor him. He doesn't tell us to honor other idols and false idols. He made it very clear what false idols were. Look at what Christ had to say here. Dave, can you look up John chapter 12 and read verses 40 John 12:49? Um, Jenny, John 14, 10, and Matthew, John 17, 1. Okay? Beautiful verses. And then we'll go to the stanza, stanza number 2 here. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father, sent me. He gave me a commandment that I should say and what I should speak. He says that I will listen. The Lord says, well, he told me what to say and what to speak and Christ will not go away from that. John John 14:10. Father well, the I I not of the He does the Well, he says I speak not of myself. He says I'm subordinate. Thank you, Jenny. I'm subordinate to the Father. He told me what to do and he's going to protect me. All the while knowing that Christ was going to be maimed and butchered and murdered on the cross. Even on that cross, he knew that the Father would take care of him. We talk about, I think so many people, so many people come back and we try to witness to him and tell them in hard times, why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? I'm having hard times in my life. My mother just died. You know, my children won't listen to me. I have all these problems. Why is the Lord doing this to me? Why is he doing this to me? Well, Christ is getting ready to be wheeled. I mean, walking to the cross, going on the cross, and even knowing that, Paul in prison, knowing he's about it. When he gets to the book of Philippians, he's about had it, and he's about ready for Nero to take over. And Nero is just going to start going through the Christians and murdering them. And he knew Christ would be with him. see. Philippians, right. right? He sends for Onesiphorus, who was a thief and became a Christian, and he's the only one left that'll bring him his coat. Paul said everyone else is left. They're all gone, and he was by himself. And that's when he writes, do all things without complaining and murmuring. I think he was writing that for me, <laughs> personally. Paul, Paul is incredible. John 17, 1. Thank you, Matthew. Look at that. What is he writing here? This is Christ's last will and testament. He's going to the cross, and he's trusting the Father. He lifted his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. How many times did he say, mine hour has not come. Mine hour is not here yet. Disciples, don't worry. Mine hour isn't here yet. You're not, not a hair on your head's going to be touched until I'm resurrected, and later on you're going to have some real problems. But until then, you're not going to be touched because mine hour has not come. Well, now the hour has come, and he looks up to the Father, knows that there's going to be a separation there. And Psalm 46 is refuge. It was sang by Christians for thousands of years. Martin Luther, German professor of theology, composer, priest, former monk, and a pivotal figure in the Protestant Reformation, he was known for his conversion by reading Romans, especially Romans 1:17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And here Luther was irritated by Johann Tetzel, a Dominican friar who was reported to have preached. Yeah, yeah, do you remember that little saying? Well, I think I can't remember exactly how it goes, but uh, a penny in the call for clings, a soul from Hell Springs. What they were doing, the friar here, Tetzel, he was trying to really, really kind of like rub up to the Pope. And they wanted to build the Basilica over there, Peter's Basilica. They wanted to build that. And what they did was they hoodwinked the congregation into thinking that they never have assurance of their salvation, that if you keep giving money to the church, that the church can work on your salvation. And it was all, they made tons and tons of money to build that Basilica. And today you can see what it looks like. And that's where it all started. Tetzel, he was the foundational figure that was the marketer that went after their money. And Luther could see this. He had just come out of all this, and he could see that this after all the monastic orders and him, the, the self-flagellations, him trying to beat himself up to try to get some kind of work to make him feel saved, he never could feel saved. And then he saw this. He saw this verse, that the just shall live by faith. And what happens is, Tetzel, he was a Dominican friar who was reported to have preached to the faithful that the purchase of a letter of indulgence entailed the forgiveness of sins, Luther drafted a set of propositions for the purpose of conducting an academic debate on the indulgences at the University of Wittenberg. He dispatches a copy of the 95 Theses to Tetzel's superior, which could have gotten him killed, by the way, Archbishop Albert of Mainz, Along with a request from Albert to put a stop to Tetzel's extravagant preaching, he also sent copies to numbers of friends. We see that Luther was greatly influenced by a man named Philip Melanchthon. He was a German reformer and a pastor. They were living in dark days. They wrote this song right around the time of the 95 Thesis, and basically that thesis was a warning shot to the Catholic Church to tell them that their works, you will not ever get to heaven by your works. And so what happened is, they wrote this song. The second stanza is about the holy city of God and the refuge that it is. That's our second stanza. But then what happens is, Melanchthon and Luther writes Mighty Fortress, and it was about a lot of things. It wasn't just basically one central theme. What was happening in that day and age is there was a fever going around and it was killing kids. It was a, I think it was a a spotted fever, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was killing an awful lot of people and they were hard times. I mean, funerals were just, there were so many funerals, there was so much death. Adults were dying from it. There was an attack from the Roman Catholic Church pursuing Luther. And they were in the tower, and he and Melanchthon, they were both They're Actually, what they said, was really, really down. And what he did, as they were translating, he sits there and he writes a mighty fortress. Here's why I really think. There's a lot of reasons. But these were dark and dangerous times. Luther would get together with Melanchthon. They would sing Psalm 46 together. This is the psalm where Luther wrote a mighty fortress, also during a time of great disease, with a fever that killed many, the third stanza of A Mighty Fortress brings it all together. I think that this is really the pivotal stanza, um, the verse in the song that really brings it together. Mighty Fortress confirms our Savior to be our refuge against what Martin Luther called the unbridled assault of Satan against the church. This song was to expose and to come out against Satan and to show how horrible that unbridled assault was, where we see in the third stanza of the mighty fortress, it says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we trembled not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And that's all it would take from God. The only reason Satan is out there now is because the Lord allows him to be there. That word's coming, and when it does, it's all over with then. Whose side do you want to be on? Mm -hmm. Joe Biden fell off of his bike yesterday. You read that? (laughs) He's lucky that's all that happened. (laughs) That was a little nudge. (laughs) He's going to fall off something. We see in this first stanza about a refuge. Let's go forward here. The second stanza, the holy city of our God, our unfathomably wonderful eternal dwelling. These are our calm waters when the tempests of our life will be eternally free from sin, sickness, death, and torment. These waters are the antithesis to the previous verse about trouble, waters, Roaring. The city of our God is our great deliverance from all the wickedness. God secures his saints. The forces of nature and the nations are no longer a threat to the people of God who dwell with him. Prophecies that God has already prepared this for us. It's already done. Why do we come to God's sanctuary? Why do we worship him? Because of Psalm 14, I mean, in, in John chapter 14. The Lord says in my Father's house, and while we were in His sanctuary, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I have come to prepare a place for you. We're here gardening His kingdom while He is gardening our mansions up in heaven. I think that's a pretty good reward, don't you? It's a pretty good trade-off, if you want to call it that. He says, let your heart not be troubled. And there's so many reasons Lisa, could you look up Isaiah chapter 48, verse 1? Isaiah 48, 1. We see that the refuge that the Lord gives us is to secure his saints in the mountain of his holiness. Isaiah 48, 1 here. God provided refuge for Israel in the land of Canaan, David's city, which is the city of our Lord in Jerusalem. And it was created, it was given by God. That's a great verse, but is that Isaiah 48.1? It is? I must have messed up here. That's a great even. Well, I can't say it's better. But I have here, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain of His holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her places for a refuge. So... I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I believe I thought that was Isaiah four, but regardless, this is David's city. Zion is a refuge. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. A portion of the announcement of the coming Messiah—that's the lead-in for this—is Matthew one twenty-one. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. What other God has ever promised this—a savior? a comforter. He will come into the world, die, rise again, and ascend into heaven until he comes back again to reign forever. Luke one thirty two and one thirty three. we read, He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest and the Lord God shall give him unto the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob. There's a lead in. The God of Jacob is for us a refuge strong and sure. That's what Father's Day message is going to be about today that the Lord's given us. It's going to be about Jacob. And there he is. And we see Jacob's name mentioned, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. What other so-called God has ever promised this for his people? God promises to be our refuge, a magnificent eternity hosted by his Son. His word repeats that over and over. And what is the sentiment of the day? As a Christian, can you even begin to believe why people hate Jesus? Well, Christ even right now is working for us. Non-belief, God does not exist, or at best is a cosmic bellhop to most people catering to the whims of mankind. Sadly, this is the sentiment of many regarding religion that love basically the benefits of what they think God can do for them, not what they can do for God. Here's 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 a statement, here's a quote that was given, and I think this is very sad, and here's the quote, I do benefits for all religions. I'd hate to blow the hereafter on a technicality. Does anybody ever hear that quote? Guess who said it? Bob Hope. I'd hate to blow the hereafter on a technicality. Well, the heathen rage and the kingdoms moved. And then we see how here, I've got to finish up here, the third stanza, are the desolations that he hath made. What are the desolations? Their anguish and despair upon those that defy him. You know, there are many desolations that are around, and we can see that in all the horrible things that have happened. Nine we've seen the riots, we've seen the shootings, and everything that has happened. And the Lord says, these things may happen. In the world ye shall have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And basically, the psalmist says, behold the works of the Lord. Read about them, to study about them. Isaiah 13, 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. And here's the end here. This is, what a, this is a wonderful blessing, I believe. Martin Luther writes a mighty fortress. Lord, Sabbath his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And so, how has it ended? Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. That's basically the refrain, that is the end, or the benediction. Be still and know that I am God. In James chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, we read, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And God will be exalted, and everyone will know who the real God is. And he says to just be patient, to wait upon him. And so I say this morning that with all these things that we're seeing out there, and there's a lot of tough things, be still, be patient. The Lord has got this. He really does. Let's finish up with prayer. Brother Dave Heater, could you close us this morning? Thank you.